Hello, dear folks. Welcome to season five of our On the Call series produced by the Stars Among Us. I'm Ozzy, and I'm very happy that you've tuned into this thank you tour of mine as each episode is a thank you card to those who have impacted my life. And on this seventh episode of season five, I'm shining light on Amala Lane. Hello, Amala. Hi, Ozzy. It's so nice to be with you. I'm very happy that you're here and that my audience can learn about you. Amala and I met when she booked me for one of her... A docudrama to uh, use for educational purposes for preventing HIV amongst elders, especially. One of my treasured bits of act <laughs> kept on my reel and I'm still so very proud of and I thank you for that. And that's why one of the, one of the couple of reasons that I'm very happy to have you with me. So with that... Well, you should be proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> you did a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just guys, so you know about Amla. Earlier in life, Amla spent time in Taiwan and other parts of East, East and South Asia with a social services organization focused on holistic education. She has moved into directly director and producer of documentaries and media for nonprofits, educational, cultural and advocacy. Some of her clients are City of New York Parks Department, Friends of Fort Tryon Park, City of New York Department of Health and Hygiene, ACRIA, which is AIDS Community Research Initiative of America, IOPA, which is International Organization for Adolescents, UNIFEM, which is the United Nations Developmental Fund for Women, Columbia University athletes. Amala's MFA in film directing. So Milos Forman, uh, there's a fund in his name at Columbia University where I went to the School of the Arts and I did receive funding from that for my my thesis film, Holding Still. And he's one of the reasons why I went to Columbia. And that was a, a scholarship, correct? It was more of an award to go towards the making of my film because making films they weren't cheap then, and they're still not cheap now. She began her own film company called Hummingbird Film, which I always love because hummingbirds are the bird of my homeland, Trinidad and Tobago. And- I know that. <laughs> yes. And Hummingbird Films is a boutique video production company which promotes educational, cultural, and nonprofit causes, which shows her demonstrates her commitment to women's issues, public health, and the environment. Then she became an adjunct professor at Hofstra University, where she taught film appreciation, became an outreach coordinator at Inside Pictures. Yeah, I became a producer for the, and for the marketing department at John Jay College, which is part of the City University of New York. I had a full-time job producing videos and a regular show for John Jay College, and I also taught classes. So it was, it was pretty, uh, you know, hair-raising, but <laughs> I did it. That was also when Obama ran and I was volunteering so much to get that man elected. It was a very intense year. Meanwhile, you were doing your freelance work as well on The Hummingbird. Right, and that's right, and that's right. And I produced, I think, four videos that year, you were in one of them. I can't, I can't believe how did, how the heck? Yeah. Isn't it funny happened. when we look back at what we've done and we like, 
Yeah, pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. So you've done your research, girl. <laughs> you also produced the monthly news magazine, Criminal Justice Matters. What was yeah, that? That was at John Jay. And it was hosted by the award-winning journalist Stephen Handelman. Yep. That surrounded um, subjects from restorative justice to decriminalization of sex work and prisoner reentry. Yeah, there was. A, it was a really good show, and after I left, they discontinued it. So I guess nobody had the bandwidth, unfortunately. In your work now at the distinguished Cornell University's uh, East Asia program, you also have the responsibility for media production of, of PIA, which is the Office of the Vice President for International Affairs that provides leadership and advocacy for international programs and activities. So my, my full-time job is with the East Asia program. The East Asia program is one of several area studies programs that is part of what's called the Ainaudi Center for International Studies. But I wanted to use my video uh, production knowledge more, so I dedicate a portion of my time every week for the even broader umbrella organization, which is the Office of the Vice Provost of International Affairs. For example, I'm making a series called Changemaker uh, videos, and this is for the Migrations Initiative. And basically, Cornell is establishing a center of expertise of all things to do with migration, from animal, multi-species migration to human migration, laws, say, around uh, human trafficking or uh, human rights issues for asylum seekers. Um, so, you know, I just finished doing a basic edit of the human trafficking, the laboratory on human trafficking. And it's very interesting. It takes a historic perspective. It takes a legal perspective. And there's also research that will be done for what's happening contemporaneously in South Africa and the southern part of, of the whole continent of Africa uh, having to do with trafficking. So uh, as you can see, you know, it's, it's a pretty big challenge and it's just more or less me in terms of who's operating the camera. And we don't have a huge studio, but I make do with a lot of resources and it's a wonderful group of people that I work with. They're really um, invested in creating equity and uh, inclusion. And, you know, it's not just lip service and it hasn't just recently started. It's, this is something that's been ongoing for many years. So it's uh, kind of breathtaking and exciting. I'm glad to be part of it. I unfortunately don't get to travel, but fortunately, you know, film film helps us travel and you just have to maximize your resources and your contacts and network. And then we get to your projects, Look Up. That was an installation. It wasn't a, um, a narrative film. It wasn't a documentary. It would, I would call it an experimental media because it was an immersive installation to help people feel closer to nature through uh, video and photography of trees from under the canopy. There's another one called 101 Things to Do on a Park Bench. Oh yes, that's what I did for the 
for New York City uh, Parks Department and with uh, Nancy Bruning, she actually directed that. I shot and edited it for her. Um, Nancy Bruning is a public health educator mm-hmm. and she leads fitness walks and workshops and all kinds of things in the parks departments. And she had this idea to show how you can use the park bench as a gym. <laughs> <laughs> I love how she started to I've got 101 things to do on a park bench. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> She's very clever, very witty. And I recommend anyone to look at that. Uh, it's really fantastic. You really can get a good workout simply by being outside in the park and use the park bench to do sit-ups, push-ups, uh, leg lifts, all kinds of different things. A lot of fun. I think it came out great. Yes, it did. And then you got older and wiser. <laughs> I don't know how wise I got, but I did get older. Anyway, Ozzy, you and I got older and wiser together, hopefully. Yes. <laughs> but you did. You also did something by that name, right? Akria hired me to uh, do some videos. I called it Older and Wiser, The Many Faces of HIV. And it was trying to address a problem that people over the age of 40 were becoming the largest population to contract HIV. Uh, So they were trying to address that through having videos. And these uh, videos were based on actual interviews with people older than 40, let's just say, who had contracted HIV. They liked them so much that they hired me again to do another set of videos, and that was engaged. Also, much of what was in that was based on actual interviews with HIV clients. You know, at the time when we did that particular um, video, it it was really impactful to me because it was a world that I sort of left behind in the 80s when, you know, the HIV was rampant and I was hitting the clubs, the Studio 54. So my view of it was one way. And when I left and grew up, so to speak, I remembered the lessons from back then that my great gay friends had taught me that I think has kept me healthy. But it was surprising to fall into a world where people were still affected and now people who were my age, right? At the time. Right. It's like the pandemic that people don't talk about, or maybe it's an endemic, but uh, it's still very widespread. It's still a real cause for concern. And we use narrative storytelling uh, of actual HIV clients to help convey the immediacy of it and the urgency to try to do something, protect oneself and to also not stop loving people who have HIV, not to exclude them. Because that still goes on. Right. So I have a question. What were your two biggest dreams as, as, as a youth or as a child? I was just telling my partner the other day that at different times of my life, I had like different dreams. Like when I was really small, I wanted to grow up and be a kitten. <laughs> you know how you, yeah. you, you have these strange ideas that you, when you grow up, you could be 
this or be that. I wanted to be Shirley Temple or like her. I wanted to go into acting. And I actually did, as a teenager, I did take lots of classes and try out and acted in some plays and things. So I, I always had a love for the theater, but I was very spiritually curious. And, uh, and I began, and also very psychologically curious. So I, I was interested in the mind and consciousness. And so I became a very lifelong dedication to meditation, learning how to meditate, growing through the process of revelation that came about through deeper and deeper meditation, and then becoming a meditation teacher myself. That was not something that I ever expected or dreamed of, but my friends used to tease me and call me the 14-year-old philosopher. <laughs> no, go figure. I could see that. I really could. <laughs> I could see that. Mystic, vegetarian, cook, dancer. <laughs> I remember your meals because I spent time with you in your, your apartment. That's I right. remember the vegetarian. I didn't know about the dancer. Yeah, so, we've never gone salsa dancing no, together. No. <laughs> and and now I really want to get out and dance, but you know, it's a whole different scenario out there. Have to wait a little bit. Yeah. You formed your your hummingbird film company. What was what made you do that? It was a way for me to um, brand my freelance work. But I had a dream um, that made me choose this name if you'd like to hear it. Yes, I would. So I grew up in the Midwest uh, when I was in Louisville, Kentucky, just outside of it in a small suburbs called Jefferson Town. Um, <clears throat> my mother, we didn't have a washer and dryer. My mother hung clothes out on the clothesline. So I dreamt one day that my mother was hanging out these white sheets on the clothesline. And I always used to love to help her because it smelled so good and it was nice to be out in the sun and it was very refreshing. So in the dream, I'm helping her hang the sheets and we're enjoying it, we're having a moment. And suddenly she's at the end of one row and she 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 kind of motions to me for me to come over. And she holds her finger up to her lips and said, be quiet, you know? And I come around the row and I look down the, you know, like two rows of white sheets, if you can imagine. And the sun is shining and it's just beautiful. And there's a hummingbird flying amidst the, the sheets. I was just so dumbstruck. It was so awesome, so beautiful. Such a moment. And she was really joyful. And we were both having such a joyful moment. But I also took it as like, maybe the hummingbird is a good spirit animal for me. It's an inspiration and Native Americans consider all birds, but especially the hummingbird to be a messenger between uh, humans and the great spirit, the earth and sky, because they connect the earth and the sky. So I, I see filmmaking as a way to connect, connect people. So, um, and, and communicate ideas. So I thought Hummingbird would be a good, good name. And became aware of Hummingbird film. That was a connection for me to you. What do you draw on for inspiration with what you're doing? Well, I have to say that the work that the people do at Cornell 
all the different faculty members, the graduate students, research that they're conducting. It inspires me and I feel very fortunate to have a privileged seat to observe it and to help to communicate it. You know, I spend 40 hours a week and I'm really thankful that I can help to magnify their work so that people can see it, learn from it, and support it. Also, Ithaca is very naturally beautiful. We're surrounded by at least 10 or 11 waterfalls. There's a, a huge waterfall 10 minutes from my apartment, and there's hills, and there's, it's the Finger Lakes. That's very inspiring. Um, people always inspire me or they make me touched or moved. And I've got a wonderful partner, Steve. So, you know, life inspires me. It's been hard with, with the pandemic and with, you know, the worries of the world. But I'm, as a colleague told me the other day, and I was frustrated about something, he said to me, Amala, you're not responsible for everything. <laughs> and it kind of, you know, reminded me to have perspective and, uh, the best I can. I mentioned earlier that you were in, spent nine years in Taiwan and other East uh, and other places in Asia. How did that happen? I was very spiritually curious and I became dedicated to meditation. Became a teacher for a nonprofit. NGO, International Organization, and I was sent to Taiwan to teach and to do social service work. So I started two preschools where we taught meditation to the children, mindfulness, and we taught them basic ethics and English and all the other subjects. But I went there as part of a monastic order to do that. And then after that, I was sent to East Europe. I spent a good deal of time in the former Czechoslovakia, now known as the Czech Republic. And that all happened over a period of about 12 years before I decided to come back to finish my education and rejoin the rest of the world, civilian life. To do that prior to coming back and finishing school and then moving on with that must have had, it must have really stayed with you because up until the time when we met, which was around 2009 or so, there's this quietness and there's this way that you delivered things when you were directing or you're around people um, or when the quiet times that we would have discussions on the side or discussions in your apartment or discussions when we'd meet outside after the film. It was this quiet way about you always. And I, I kind of, you know, I understand it. Well, I, I appreciate that, but I guess you haven't met me when I'm totally freaked out. No. <laughs> about something. Uh, well, that's very kind of you to say. Ozzie. So what are you most proud of with all this that you've done throughout your life? One time. I was finishing my undergraduate in psychology and I worked in a shelter for women who were abused, domestic abuse, victims of domestic abuse and their children. And I worked in the children's program. There was this boy, he must have been about seven years old, 
and he was there with his older sister and his mom. And they told me that he was afraid that he would commit suicide. And I thought, oh, oh, that's really horrible, poor thing. And they asked me if I would work with him, talk to him. I said, oh, well, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, I had some training in suicide prevention. Um, that's a very young age to even have that idea, to even know that word. So we, we talked uh, with his sister present, and I asked him if he knew what it meant. And it was clear to me he didn't understand what it even meant. Uh, and I had to explain to him that suicide was a choice. It's not like you get hit by a car or somebody will come and get you, you know, and harm you. It's something that you choose to do to yourself. And so it's not an accident. It's not something that you can't control. And so I asked him if he felt like hurting himself. And he said, no. And I said, you're just afraid of something bad happening to you. And he said, yes. And that pretty much dispelled it. I mean, with young children, you don't want to labor. You just ask a question, you give them an answer, you know, if you know the answer uh -huh. as best you can. And I hope that he also got help for what probably was early childhood depression caused by the domestic violence in his home. You'd think with making these movies and going overseas and teaching meditation and doing social service and all these things, which are all, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have had that opportunity to be there and to be of service. This one thing, you know, if I help this one person to understand that he didn't need to hurt himself and he wouldn't hurt himself, and that he was safe, that was like, okay, thank you, God, I got to do some good in the world. I heard the key word there, service, which is part of your life, a major part of your life with all the projects that you've done, you know, yeah. as well as teaching and whatnot. It's a, a, a hard thing, but you've taught him, you showed him that he can make a different choice. And choice yeah. is, um, I've had a situation recently where a friend of mine tried taking his life. Oh. And he's an adult. He's, you know, he's late 40s. Um, so I had to, you know, afterward sort of uh, talk him through some, some, some things. But um, it's that choice. So. Right. It's not an accident. You know, it's not something that accidentally happens to you or someone who wishes you ill intent to harm you, but that you yourself would decide that you wanted to harm yourself. And that was the thing to ask this little boy. I said, how would you do it? Would you would you hurt yourself in some way? And then when he said no. And so then he, be, he understood, oh, that's what it means. It's not something that can happen to me accident or by somebody else choosing it so okay <laughs> i'm not afraid of that happening he had other things that he was afraid of but and then you know we worked with him on those those things. 
So these last two years have been really difficult. Um, sitting and uh, I got to tell you, the podcast has helped me keep me centered because I had lost. I stopped counting twenty up to twenty five. My cousin, last person, my cousin died in twenty twenty. It just stopped counting. But then in twenty twenty one came different kind of news where a lot of my friends uh, or friends of friends were having situations with. Um, you know, tumors and breast cancer and all of those, this is a whole different head. And then in the fall of last year, from August to November, I lost a person almost every month. That's the thing, wasn't COVID this time, which was very interesting. Falling asleep and not getting up. Oh, sorry. Because I've had to do the podcast and um, conducted and hosted and edited, and, you know, it has kept me pretty centered. Whereas yeah. my friends would be calling and they would not have something, I guess, to keep them centered. And, you know, they didn't know what to do. They were really down in the dumps. And, you know, that was my yeah. other thing, talking them through it. How has COVID affected you positively or negatively? Well, I think that we've all been traumatized by the COVID pandemic. And when I hear you say this, it, it reminds me, you know, it's the same here. Uh, I have been on the, what they call it, the COVID coaster. <laughs> sometimes up, sometimes down. Um, if not for my practice of many years of meditation, I also go to Quaker meeting where the practice of worship is contemplative. Um, if not for these things and for my, my partner, um, and other friends, I, I also feel like it would have been impossible, but very, very difficult. I, I think we've all faced a, a lot of loss. I lost uh, a friend uh, in the struggle, Alex, I'm going to say her name, Alexandra Zevin, Presente. Alexandra Zevin died from COVID and it was completely preventable. She was vaccinated, she was boosted, and still she got it because some people would not mask. Some people would expose, and she, it turned out she had uh, been battling leukemia for 12 years. So she was immunocompromised. She was an artist and a an, uh, um, social justice advocate and very active with Occupy Wall Street and that whole community. So I, I know I'm going on at length about this one person, but she was extremely significant to me and to a huge circle of people and we've all lost people like this right so we've all been extremely traumatized and um and then on top of that we have uh you know the ukraine war in ukraine and we have the uh, almost complete overthrow of the government on january 6th and we have underlying all of this is climate catastrophe and there is a, a very deep and unrecognized psychological and spiritual component to this which is that we may lose this our place on this planet i think that the natural resources and everything will eventually replenish themselves but maybe human beings will not be able to be sustained if we keep it up so th th this is an assault Anybody who's, you know, 
half aware is getting this assault on all these different levels. So what you're doing, I think, is really important. Having a podcast, having people on to talk, having people connect with one another, I think is essential to our survival. You know, sharing each other's stories, listening to each other. This is all very important. So I'm thankful that you're doing this podcast, thankful to hear that it's helping you. And I know that it's helping other people. Thank you, Amala. Thank you, thank you very much. I really wish we could sit one day across from each other. Maybe I'll come up one of these days and, and check out the, the waterfalls up there. It sounds absolutely wonderful and cleansing. First thing you yes, it is. Cleansing. That's right. Eating. That's right. You know, water every few feet, it completely purifies itself. Mm-hmm. I, I go and I stand by the waterfalls and I relax immediately and I feel all that positive energy coming in. And, you know, to the Native Americans, waterfalls, well, everything was sacred, but the waterfalls are especially sacred. And I felt like the lesson coming here is to learn to let it flow, let it go. And one of the difficulties of coming here is that I knew someone who was a professor at Cornell. I knew her through my meditation community and she did commit suicide by jumping off one of these waterfalls. So it was very hard for me to come here at first. Um, My partner, Steve and I came here just I had curiosity about the Ithaca Eco Village. I'm interested in intentional communities, but I told him, you know, that this very sad thing that happened. So the first time I came here was not for Cornell. I came just to explore the place. And then I got the job and I came here and I thought, okay, this is interesting. I'm being brought right back into this and I have to learn the lesson of the water. And I feel that she's okay. And I, I there's been a lot of healing by being here over the right. past. It, it brought you back to heal. And you're welcome anytime. <laughs> Once the pandemic <laughs> yes. goes down a little bit. Yes, yes. Thank you very much I, for letting me invite myself. <laughs> Ozzy, you have a standing invitation wherever I am, but while I'm at Ithaca, you're welcome here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And with that, I'm going to say to my my audience, thank you so much for spending your valuable time with us today learning about Pamela. And please care to share. Remember when you're on your beat, stay on the sunny side of the street safely, be health conscious and kind to one another. And don't forget to give thanks for the little and big gifts. Amala. Thank you so much. I really love you. Since we've met to do that video, you have been such an integral and important part of my life because even with um, having me in your home and being there for me whenever I call, you also helped me when I was putting together my script. You were always there giving advice, etc. I really, really, really appreciate you. Really oh, awesome. Thank you so much. person in my life. I'm getting verklempt. <laughs> Thank you, Ozzy. It's it's always a pleasure to hear you and to connect with you. I love you too. Thank you so much. And the same to you. Can't wait to see you one of these days. Thank you to your audience, to to the community for listening and tuning into Ozzy's show. I know she uh, 
she shares a lot of inspiration to all of us. And with that, thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Okay. Take care, my dear. Okay. Kisses. Kisses to you too. Bye. Bye.